Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Well, I want to wish everyone a happy 2023 and welcome you back to another episode of the Agents of Innovation podcast. I'm your host, Francisco Gonzalez. And as you all know, the podcast here is available on YouTube as well. So if you're just listening to this on maybe Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast, you can also watch us um, by searching for the Agents of Innovation podcast on YouTube. And whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Apple, Spotify, or any of the other platforms out there, please don't forget to subscribe uh, to this podcast and be sure to leave a comment as well to let us know what you think about this episode. And on this episode, we have as our guest, Aaron Collins, who is a longtime friend. Uh, I first met Aaron, I believe, the first year that I was living in Tallahassee in 2008. And I cannot remember uh, the last time I saw her in person because I've been all over the place. She's up in Tallahassee for the most part. She's been all over the place too. Um, So we were trying to actually do this interview in person because I'm down here in Palm Beach County where she's originally from, but we were not here at the same time in the last few months. But thankfully, we have this innovative thing called technology, uh, like Zoom, that we could um, come together on. And so uh, Aaron is coming to us from Tallahassee today. Aaron, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Francisco. Well, it's such a pleasure. And uh, Aaron is the executive director of the Florida Alliance to End Human Trafficking. And Aaron, before um, we get into what you're doing now in that role, I thought maybe you could uh, let our viewers and listeners know a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Thank you again for the opportunity. So I um, grew up in in nine different states, um, but moved to Florida in 1997. I've always joked that um, I'm not in the witness protection program and I'm not some sort of you know double agent working for the military. <laughs> um, my father was in corporate hotel sales, so it afforded my family the opportunity to move around the country to see um, so many beautiful places and meet so many wonderful people. Moved to Florida in 1997, grew up in Jupiter, not too far from where you grew up in Palm Beach County. I went to the University of Florida, Go Gators, sorry. <laughs> and uh, then moved to Washington, D.C. after graduation. Um, and I will say that I studied journalism, uh, specifically telecommunication news and political science. My dream growing up was to be the White House press secretary. But shortly um, after arriving in D.C., which I was doing press for a congressman at the time, um, Washington, whether it was in 2006 back then or now, um, is a challenging, fun, enigma, crazy uh, environment and received a lot of, um, you know, great work opportunities, but something was always pulling back to Florida. So I figure um, not too shabby of a place to be in the Sunshine State's capital. So I moved to Tallahassee in 2000, in 2006, um, and, uh, and the rest is history. The, the years have flown by, um, but um, every role that I kind of have taken um, over the last you know, nearly 20 years really led me to the position that I have now. Well, Aaron, the years have flown by, but not on your face. Uh, you look at you look like you did the day I uh, I, I met You're you, two thousand eight. Uh, but the years have flown by for me. We were talking about my birthday this week as we're talking, but uh, 
you know, um, but Tallahassee is a wonderful place. And I lived there for eight wonderful years, uh, really treasure the time there and all the friends we made. And it's like a small town almost. I mean, it, it it's definitely much smaller than growing up in, say, Broward or Palm Beach counties or certainly Miami. Um, definitely like a total different part of the state. Some people will call it Southern Georgia or lower Alabama and kind of that part of the state. But it's really wonderful people there. Uh, and there's a lot of great public servants doing great work. Of course, we have a lot of people that come from around the state to do the work in the legislative body. Um, we have the governor there. We have, um, you know, all the all the bureaucracies and everything. But really, a lot of great people serving this this wonderful state that you and I uh, really call home and love and treasure. And as much as we both love traveling around the world and doing things, I always tell people my home will always be in Florida. So, um, but speaking of that, Aaron, um, uh, I know you are you a proud Gator, and <laughs> uh, I guess uh, other than you and maybe a handful of people like my youngest brother tony and uh you know i love tim tebow i don't know the gators i, I don't know about the gators but uh but you guys just got a new president there and ben sass so i guess we'll, we'll excuse uh we'll excuse your gator nation stuff for a few minutes i wanted to mention though speaking of gator honoree uh you are an honoree of the university of florida alumni association 40 gate uh 40 gators under 40 in 2022 um and you've also been a finalist uh, you are a finalist, I guess, right now for the Servant Leadership Award presented by Leadership Tallahassee. And Aaron here, you've been recognized, you were recognized in 2022 by the Tallahassee Democrat, which is the local newspaper there in the state capital of Florida, Tallahassee, as one of 25 women you need to know. Well, the Agents of Innovation podcast... Uh, believes more people need to know about Erin <laughs> Collins and her great work. So that's why we brought you on today. And so, Erin, um, we're going to get into some other parts of your background and your story a little bit later. But I first want you to tell us now about um, a little bit more about your role as the executive director there and um, and what you guys are doing at the Florida Alliance to End Human Trafficking. Um, you know, is one, what drew me to the state's capital in Florida um, was a role with a statewide uh, business uh, taxpayer organization. Um, and I was there for six years doing membership and development. Um, after that, I worked for a, a national um, consulting firm focused on uh, working with technology clients that either had an existing presence in the state of Florida or who were new to the market um, and wanted to, to get involved. Um, and then right before I took this role, I was working um, for Governor Rick Scott and then briefly for Governor DeSantis um, in the agency's technology agency or the state's technology agency. Um, all that being said, um, the role that I have now as the executive director of the Florida Alliance has kind of compiled all those different roles um, as, and, and as also an aside, um, you know, I've been volunteering with several organizations in Tallahassee and also statewide um, for many years now. And it kind of encapsulated all the different things that I'm passionate about. And when you say, or the cliche goes, you know, things happen, you know, for a reason and you have to be at the right place at the right time. Um, that's truly how I came into this role. Um, I was an advocate um, with a statewide nonprofit when the legislation that created this organization in 2019 
came before the legislature. And I remember, you know, um, you know, putting in my committee card to testify, um, to advocate, um, thought that having a nonprofit focused on this issue to increase training and awareness um, and, and bring more conversations about this important topic you know, was so important to our state overall, never knowing that, um, you know, later that year, I would be taking on um, the role as its executive director. So the story is, um, I was actually catching up with um, a mutual friend of ours, Chelsea Murphy, um, uh, when we bumped into the the chair of the organization um, from South Florida, um, former Senator Ellen Bogdanoff. And little did I know that a conversation kind of in passing would lead to starting an organization from scratch. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. Truly launching two months before kind of the world shut down two years ago. Um, but it has been super fulfilling um, and, and really amazing. The Florida Alliance uh, was created to provide funding, support, and assistance to the statewide effort to end human trafficking and to collaborate and work with uh, the Statewide Council on Human Trafficking, which is chaired by our phenomenal Attorney General Ashley Moody. Um, we are focused on increasing awareness across industries, um, and we do that through training. We developed a training course uh, that is approved by the state for the hospitality and tourism industry, and there are required professions that have to take annual training. And then also um, on the development side, to raise funds to provide grants to law enforcement, and ultimately um, contingent upon available funds uh, to service providers, because we know that Law enforcement can't identify uh, potential victims um, and then you know, survivors if they don't have tips from the general public. Um, and then also they can't do their good work, their investigatory work without technology solutions that are proven um, and that they have access to. So that's a little bit about the Florida Alliance. Well, that's great. And, and just to back up that story there a little bit as well, uh, sounds like, and I think from what my reading is, this the Florida Alliance is a nonprofit that was created by the Florida legislature. Is that right? It, it was, yes. The, the spring of 2019, uh, there was legislation that was uh, sponsored by Senator Lauren Book and Representative Heather Fitzenhagen, um, again, to create a you know, standalone nonprofit to tackle this issue really from you know, a statewide perspective. Uh, there are regional and local human trafficking task forces that follow the judicial circuits um, under the Office of the Attorney General, but not an organization that kind of is collectively working with everyone to raise awareness. And Aaron, um, is that is the organization primarily funded by the government, by legislature? Do you get private support? How does that work? Sure. So in our first year, um, we did receive a small appropriation to develop our training. Um, the rest of our funding um, is from private sources. Um, and then this current fiscal year, we did receive um, another small appropriation to um, update our training and awareness course into five different languages. But the majority of our funding, um, overwhelming majority of our funding comes from private sources. So, you know, this this in, this um, issue really interests me in a few ways, Aaron. You know, what I wanted to mention is you see right behind me here for those watching, that's the name of my company, Fearless Journeys. And um, I created it primarily as a for a community to help people be more fearless and emboldened on their entrepreneurial journey. However, the Fearless Journeys community, as you might know, uh, also has a travel component. We take people a lot of fun group trips. We've gone to Guatemala, we've gone to Nashville, we got an upcoming trip to Uruguay and Argentina. I also know you and your husband, Len, share a, a great passion for travel. I see you taking some fantastic trips as well. Um, so all of us have been on the road quite a bit for business travel, 
uh, but also for some of these fun type of trips that we like to take as well. And when we're traveling, for the most part, we're, we're having amazing interactions with so many awesome people that you just meet in the course of your travels. And, um, and you know, for the most part, that's, uh, that's the kind of people meeting. But I also sometimes have to remind myself and people on our trips uh, to take some precautions because there's also those among us who are traveling who don't have the best of intentions. Um, the last few times that I've flown out of the Miami and Fort Lauderdale airports... Um, I've heard announcements over the intercom about human trafficking, about being aware uh, of, of that that this is a, a place of of a, a lot of human trafficking that takes place in this region of of the country and the world and our state. Um, and recently, just a few weeks ago, I was I was uh, traveling on the Florida Turnpike, and I was in one of the service plazas in the rest areas, uh, entering the restroom area, and there were signs, very very large signs about human trafficking as I was going to the restroom. And it actually made me think through all these circumstances, is human trafficking a new phenomenon? I mean, clearly we have a horrible, you know, history uh, of, of slavery and things like that. So, so that's, that's human trafficking in, in a different way in, in some ways, but it, but it made me think um, in kind of our more modern times, is this kind of a new phenomenon, but it also made me think uh, maybe it's the public awareness campaign that really seems to be on its game right now to making us all, alert, aware uh, that this is going on um, when we're not really thinking about it. We're just thinking of, you know, taking a stop on the rest plaza or checking in to our gate at the airport, uh, but that there may be people with more devious motives around us. So I suppose places like airports and uh, turnpike rest areas are places people are, that are being trafficked are coming through. So I just wanted to get your take on, um, on that. Um, you know, like, are, is that something that you guys are, um, part of those kind of campaigns and and what could you say to travelers like us who maybe need to be a little more aware of our surroundings sure and i think it is also important to kind of level set um because there's a lot of myths and um, misconceptions about human trafficking uh but you know the basic definition of human trafficking is the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of commercial sex act, um, you know, or labor. Um, and that can be done in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, traffickers are looking for people that are vulnerable or have higher risk factors for a variety of reasons. Um, that could be psychological, emotional vulnerabilities, economic hardships, um, people that don't have that safety net that could be, you know, church, family, you know, friends. Uh, natural disasters are another big one. And then also political instability. Um, and I just mentioned that because there's, you know, human trafficking looks like a lot of different things. Um, and through entertainment, through social media, <clears throat> there have been a lot of things perpetuated as organizations like ours, the Florida Alliance, has worked to increase awareness on the fact on the facts um, and fact base. Um, but it's hard once that viral post uh, is shared thousands, millions of times to kind of put that genie back in the bottle. Um, but to your point, there are a lot of different ways that, you know, companies and individuals are helping organizations like ours and others and law enforcement, um, you know, spot the signs of human trafficking. So when we hear, um, you know, every year, the Florida Department of Children and Family Families, um, and it's the same way in other states or the National Human Trafficking Hotline, compile the number of reports, you know, texts calls um, to their respective numbers, 
they have you know increased exponentially since we have started tracking back in 2012. And that's when Florida took first steps um, related to human trafficking laws with the Safe Harbor Act. Um, and we look at it as obviously it's horrific what um, you know is alleged in these reports and, and obviously people who you know are brought you know through the criminal justice system and that process. But the more people are talking about it, the more people that are taking training, the more people that are having conversations, even with our, our youngest and littlest of learners, as we say, when you know we partner with um, education institutions, those age-appropriate conversations help us become better trained observers. So to your point, when we're traveling, and that could be on, on domestic flights, international flights, we don't have to take an airplane you know, we stop at rest stops, we are all throughout the community um, in our state, and everyone has the opportunity to see something. But if you've taken a training, you know that there are certain factors, both from a behavioral, and maybe physical standpoint, um, that might not sit well, kind of in, uh, in the pit of your stomach, you don't know why. Um, and most people, um, I know, even, you know, before coming to this role, and, and sometimes even now, you know, for myself, you know, we, we, we think, we kind of downplay sometimes what we see because we're like, oh, you know, maybe it was, you know, a parent getting in an argument with, you know, their child or, you know, everyone's moody when they're, you know, a preteen. Um, there's a lot of the different things that we kind of want to turn a, turn a blind's eye. But when we see it in front of us and we've taken a training and we've become more aware and educated, law enforcement, service providers, our organization, we want people to place a phone call, send a text to make that report because again, law enforcement can't do their good work. They can't investigate if they don't know what's happening. So um, in a long-winded way, um, yes, um, you know, government and working with um, you know, nonprofit organizations um, are always doing you know, awareness campaigns throughout the year. Um, I think you know, sometimes, and again, we're very fortunate in the state of Florida where we get a lot of amazing high-profile events. So whether that's a Super Bowl, national championships for football, um, you know, big concerts, people that come to one of our amazing, several of our amazing theme parks, there's a lot of different awareness campaigns that go on at a specific time of year based on those events. But the work continues 365, 24 seven, unfortunately, because we are a peninsula. We have, we are access to truly the world. So if you're flying in on a plane, you're taking um, a, a bus cross country, you're driving, um, it doesn't matter. Our, our ports of entry, obviously, um, there's a lot of different people, millions of people that are, are being transported um, just for you know, tourism purposes, but unfortunately also um, for those nefarious um, and, and criminal um, purposes as well. Yeah, wow. You point out a lot of factors there uh, when you think about Florida and uh, and the role that you guys are playing because of, I mean, you just mentioned some things. I was theme parks, uh, high profile events, the fact that we have so many ports of entry. We are a gateway to Latin America and in some ways the entire world. Um, and so all these things, not to mention earlier, you talked about things like natural catastrophes. Well, we have some of those, right? And political instability. Hopefully we don't have as much of those, but 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 those but other countries near us have a lot of those and and that that factors in. Um so you mentioned uh before mostly human trafficking that you're focused on. It seems like um there's things like you said force, fraud, coercion and particularly to get people in, um 
into industries for sexual activity or uh, or forced labor. Um, So when, because when we talk about human trafficking, yeah, I mentioned before, like a lot of different images can kind of be conjured up. Also, we have this idea that people are being tracked trafficked from other countries, whether like right now there's heightened tensions with the border, but we have people coming in all different ports of entry into the US. Um, So we have that, but you also mentioned the domestic trafficking or maybe even just local trafficking. Um, I read here in one of your reports that over in 2021, over 2000 human trafficking victims were identified within the state, but there was also a lot more reports. Um, So Let's just I don't know if you if you have these statistics or anything like that, but um, of those, say, 2000 victims identified within the state, do you know how many like where those people were coming from? Were they Floridians? Were they coming from other countries, other states? Uh, Where does that kind of break down a little bit? Yeah. So so also add on to the types of you know human trafficking. Um, it, it can it can be present and look like a lot of different things um, in those subsections. And there might be forms of exploitation that, you know, in, at this present time, we haven't even thought of that are, are taking place. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is there are so many myths that that what does a victim of human trafficking look like? And um, I'll tell you that people are not driving around your neighborhood in a van with no windows and snatching your kids. Do kidnappings happen? Yes. Um, But in the numbers that are portrayed sometimes, um, no. Um, A lot of the times, especially um, with our minors who become victims of human trafficking, um, you know, teenagers, you know, adolescents, they um, begin a relationship or a friendship um, which is called grooming with people online. So um, I know that you are, and as am I, huge fans of technology. However, there are you know bad actors using technology for you know purposes of crime and illegal activity. So having again, as I mentioned earlier, the age appropriate conversations with our teenagers about yes, I know you want to get on Snapchat, but here's what we're gonna do. Your, you know, your account's going to be private. Here are some controls. Um, you know, a lot of these technology companies, and again, not to be political about technology companies, um, have instituted a lot of different parental controls over the years because as much as we try to get ahead of the nefarious bad actors, the risk is worth the reward to these individuals because they're making a profit. And, you know, until there are people that do not want to purchase other people for some type of use, human trafficking is going to exist. And so having those conversations early on, you know, with our children, with our cousins, with our, you know, neighbors, um, our students um, is so important. Um, I'll also say, um, you know, to to your specific question, um, there are people that, you know, are coming from other countries for a variety of different reasons. And a lot of it sometimes, you know, more recently is political instability. Um, and that is a number of them. Um, uh, but victims of human trafficking are the people that live next door to you. It doesn't matter if you, um, you know, live behind, um, live in a beautiful, affluent community, um, have access to all the wonderful things because, you know, you work hard and you earn them. Anyone who is connected to other people, mainly, you know, technology is cell phone, has a potential vulnerability. So while victims are coming from, you know, a variety of different countries, 
children that are in our school systems that have access to, te to technology are as susceptible because we're connected with the outside world. You know, when you and I were growing up, um, you know, when computers, uh, cell phones really it was a lot later, but when we got a computer, it was, you're going to sit in the family room or the kitchen and, you know, your parents or your guardian, whomever had eyes on you. Now it's so different. And students are learning in so many amazing, phenomenal ways with technology. But again, those bad actors who want to exploit for a variety of different purposes are leveraging that. Um, so the biggest thing that, um, you know, we're focused on is, you know, fact-based, non-myths. And, you know, we talk a lot in our board, we have an amazing um, board at the Florida Alliance, um, you know, dispelling those myths. And so I'd rather have you know, friends, family, colleagues, or people I've met in passing, but know that, or even never met me. Um, and I do get emails about, hey, I saw this online. Is this true? Having a quick conversation is so much better and more important and timely rather than posting it to social media. Again, genie's out, can't put it back in. And then who knows what goes on? Yeah, no, by the way, a lot of a lot of interesting uh, points there. And I'm going to go through a few with you here. Um, because I think primarily uh, as a society, we're probably most concerned with children, right? And um, there's going, I want to talk about other people as well, because I know there's other victims, but you talked about children. You know, when you and I were growing up, um, it was more that idea of that person in the van of, right, driving around the neighborhood, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure things like that still exist. So, not to downplay that. Um, I remember even growing up, maybe I got a little bit older. I was a teenager or a young adult and hearing about kids at Disney World um, getting, you know, places like that, you know, being more aware of of uh, because or just places, high profile of places where there's going to be a lot of kids. Right. Uh, that's where some of these you know nefarious people will uh, will hang out and try to uh, you know nab your kid, whatever. But like you said, it today it's a little bit more. There's a, first of all, there's social media. That's how people can get to young people, and also there's that grooming process, right? Pretending to be your friend, making it sound like this is okay and this is okay and this is okay. Maybe it's giving you things along the way to reward you for doing this or that activity with other people, other adults, and then all of a sudden, boom, you've been human human trafficked. Um, so when you so let's I want to talk about that for a little bit because um, there's a few elements of this and um, obviously like parents need to be super aware but like I feel like everything with parents like kids like our kids and they're gonna like get around their parents they they're like savvier with technology than their parents are and things like that um, but I think it's having those conversations early with the kids like so like knowing these kids are probably gonna get around whatever controls you put on them possibly. But like making sure that they're like fully aware. So, um, where are and and where's the the role that you're coming into play on this as well in terms of what you're educating parents and educators and others about talking to kids? Uh, where can people get those resources and what are what is the uh, Florida Alliance doing to help them with that? Sure. Um, the great thing is is that Florida has really been um, strong in advocating, changing, implementing, changing laws, modifying laws. Um, since 2012. And uh, gosh, it's 2023. So in 2019, um, and implemented in 2020, uh, the Florida Department of Education as part of public students 
health curriculum um, in an age-appropriate manner, they are to um, learn about human trafficking and exploitation. And there are some phenomenal providers that each school district, through a an, evalu- an evaluation process and discussion process, um, determine you know what providers they'll go with. So if your if your student is in a public school in, in Florida, and obviously you know other um, you know private schools can opt into this, um, but they're receiving age-appropriate um, human trafficking awareness education as part of of their health education. The conversation that we have with a six-year-old is very different than a sixteen-year-old. Um, you know the the things that um, you know the myths that are dispelled. Um, you know when you're young don't become problems because you've had the open conversation in whatever form that, you know, takes on with your child, the parent guardian, you know, your child best and and what they're able to, you know, absorb, to learn, to understand. But I'll also say that, you know, there are victims of human trafficking that are trafficked by a guardian or a parent. So that's why the folks in our school systems and our school districts, our teachers who, um, you know, sometimes get the best of our kids <laughs> and sometimes the not so best, uh, um, they are the ones that are so important. Um, you know, we launched with the commissioner of education here in Florida um, in the fall of, of 2022, um, a campaign geared specifically towards those, um, you know, ages called I Am Invaluable. Um, and it's resources for, you know, schools, for parents, for teachers, uh, for students to open the discussion about this important topic um, and kind of dispel those myths, but also focus on online safety, which is such a huge component. Um, you know, we think that, um, you know, if we parent and discipline our child or the people that, um, you know, are around us, then nothing will, no harm will come to them. Unfortunately, we know that's, you know, not the case, but intervening, having those preventative, those educational, those fact-based conversations are so important. The thing that always boggles my mind um, is, and again, super pro-technology, obviously innovation, um, but the bad actors are using technology in ways that we had never identified. So some of the things um, in our toolkit, um, IamInvaluable.com, are some of the apps that that law enforcement has identified that are the most used um, through that grooming relational process um, in their investigatory work. Um, I'll just throw one out there that is just crazy. Um, we all have an innate calculator app on whatever you know mobile device that we have, doesn't matter the manufacturer. Um, there's a calculator app that is an encrypted app similar to some of the others out there that is used for messaging um, that is very, very, very hard for law enforcement you know, to identify. Um, mm. When people, again, when the risk is worth the reward. People are going to do whatever they have to to get that, and they're using technology for those purposes. So again, having those conversations um, with those littlest of learners to dispel myths, to o- just open up the dialogue. Um, you don't have to have the long-winded, you know, you know, monologue about human trafficking. It's you know, um, you know, background and existence with your four-year-old. But you can say if you ever feel uncomfortable, um, you know, here's what you do: go to a trusted adult. And sometimes that's not always a parent. It could be a teacher. And that's why equipping them with, you know, information and resources is so important. Yeah, that's great. So um, a couple of things there. Again, getting back to this trafficking thing, because we talk about the victims could be next door. Um, crazy that you mentioned that a, that a parent or guardian could be participating. It's hard for me to like get my head around like what parent or guardian would, would do this to their child. But I guess people 
do all sorts of nefarious things. So, um, yeah. and I will say, you know, just quickly, people are motivated by different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we look at and um, people, um, you know, psychologists, case managers, folks that are working within the child welfare system, individuals that you know are part of that, unfortunately, have higher risk factors. So, mm-hmm. say you have an individual that is going home, um, you know, straight A student. Um, but is in foster care, but has a parent or maybe two parents, biological parents that were incarcerated or formerly incarcerated might not be, you know, consistent in their life. Those factors add into the potential vulnerabilities and traffickers prey on those. Um, You know, thinking back to when we were teenagers was a little long ago, but we all want, even as adults, those relationships with other human beings. And sometimes when you let your guard down, because people can be convincing, and it might not just always be a friendship, it could be, um, especially in some of our labor trafficking um, situations, you know, promises of a job or employment um, or some other false promise. We're thinking, oh gosh, you know, um, you know, I'm out of work right now, or I'd like something better. This sounds really great. It sounds lucrative. I can provide for my family. Um, You know, we kind of, we, we get our hopes up and, if we are educated and the people around us are educated, you know, we can stop those things from happening. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so, um, our, so when we say people are trafficked, is that a, an equivalent to they've been kidnapped or could people be not kidnapped and still be like kind of in this forced uh, situation that they can't get out of? Totally. Yeah. So again, dispel the myth. Do, do kidnappings happen? Yes. Do they happen for all human trafficking situations? Absolutely not. Um, most, a lot of the cases, um, you know, are built over time. And, and we mentioned that grooming process, that relationship building, um, whether it's for, you know, a romantic relationship or for, you know, um, a, a professional, you know, um, employment. Um, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. Um, the other thing that I did want to mention is um, the the access to things um, for for jobs, parental, um, the networks, political instability, kind of that that basic definition. We're we're in a time right now where there's a lot of things going on globally. Um, you know, we mentioned um, natural disasters. Uh, the state of Florida got hit by a really bad hurricane um, last fall um, in Southwest Florida. Um, and we have seen, because of past history, and, and unfortunately after Hurricane Michael, um, people being forced into labor trafficking situations when people were rebuilding their homes. Um, and obviously, we don't want to see that happening right now. Um, the Florida Alliance penned several op-eds um, around the state, and specifically in Southwest Florida, to you know educate people about those things. Um, but again. We might not think as rational, logical human beings, we would not commoditize or put a dollar amount on someone, especially a child. Um, But when people want something and there's a dollar amount tied to it because they're personally going to receive some financial gain, all rules are off the table. Um, You know, human trafficking is the second largest global industry, second to arms and and gun trade, which is insane, you know, $150 billion with a B. Um, And that doesn't decrease until we have, you know, conversations like this um, in a lot, in a lot of different settings. Um, You know, it's not just incumbent upon law enforcement or service providers who are offering that continuum of care after um, a victim and then survivor is identified. Um, But, you know, as we started this conversation, 
everyone is everywhere in every community across our state, our wonderful state. But no one wants to relocate here, move their business, um, move down to our state from wherever, um, you know, domestically or internationally, if all they see are the headlines. Um, mm-hmm. And I will say that, um, you know, the, the legislature here in Florida and our, our governor, our attorney general um, specifically, um, have done a lot. There are always things that can be done to modify or, or tweak laws. However, law enforcement, the broader community, um, you know, needs to be engaged and get involved. There is no harm in calling the National Human Trafficking Hotline or even calling 911 if you think that someone's in immediate danger, because we would never want harm to come to someone that we love, um, let alone another you know human being. So getting engaged, having those conversations is what will ultimately stop this. Yeah. So I like that, you know, government's involved, law enforcement's involved. You've got great nonprofits like you involved, but but ultimately, ultimately it's us, it's the citizens that have to be involved. And, and you, I think, are empowering, you know, everyday citizens to do this. Can you give um, our listeners and viewers the, the hotline and if they want to call uh, to report something or text, uh, texting might be good too, right? Um, how did that, how do they do that? And also, um, what about people who, oh, so anyway, go ahead and give, give that, give that out. Yeah. So the national human trafficking hotline number is 888-373-7888. And then you can also text be free, um, to two, three, three, seven, three, three, um, or again, calling nine one one. If you think someone is in immediate danger. And I'll be putting those in the show notes here too. So if people want to scroll to those show notes um, on any other platforms, you can find those uh, numbers uh, to call, text, and obviously everyone knows 911 when there's something immediate, uh, somebody immediately in danger. Uh, getting back to the types. So I, I assume that you know when we talk about people being forced into sex acts, the end, the end there for them is, is probably typically things like prostitution or pornography in terms of how people make money. I don't know if there's anything else. But you also mentioned labor trafficking, such as maybe after a natural catastrophe. What is a, t- what is a possible example of labor trafficking? What does that mean? Sure. So I, I do want to, to clarify and maybe dispel a myth um, okay. about when you mentioned prostitution. So we live in the state of Florida. Prostitution is illegal. Um, right. If you mention a minor, someone under 18, um, they cannot consent to anything from a sexual activity perspective. And if they're forced into that situation, it is human trafficking. So if you are over 18, Force, fraud, or coercion from a legal standpoint has to be proven. But if you are under 18 and you're a victim of some of this abuse, it does not have to be. You can be arrested for human trafficking. And let to- me ask you something too. Statue of limitations on that, right? So maybe somebody was 14, 15, 17, I don't know. Uh, and and years later, um, they maybe want to report something on somebody who did that. What uh, what are their legal avenues if they did if they didn't feel comfortable as a child reporting something like that? Yeah, laws have changed over the years, specifically to um, um, individuals who've been arrested who want to vacate or expunge their records. The legislature um, has has started to do a really great job of that in the last few years, specifically in 2019. Um, but we know people and know of cases where this happened to an individual when they were a teenager and now they're in their 20s or 30s. Um, it's obviously a lot harder to prove, um, but law enforcement can do work if the individual. Um, 
I'll just say, cause I'm not law enforcement, law, law enforcement can do their work. So um, there might be repressive memories um, because of drug abuse or individuals who are forced to take drugs to perform some type of commercial sex act um, or, or, or even labor act. So um, we always want people to come forward. Um, and a lot of times, again, with, with abuse and, and even threat, threats of violence is a huge thing too, which, you know, you mentioned sometimes keeps people in an exploitive situation mm-hmm. um, um, or threats to your family. So we see a lot um, in, in labor trafficking situations. If someone maybe isn't from, you know, this country, um, threats of deportation, um, you know, if your passport's being held, um, you are, you know, not getting um, a full paycheck, you're getting a little bit, or you're getting um, some type of, of gift that is not a nominal wage as you should. Um, so those are other factors just to, again, um, for, for people's understanding, you know, about commercial sexual exploitation with some of the, the age limits and the consent and also labor trafficking. Uh, to your question about examples, um, Florida is an amazing state for so many different industries particularly for the agricultural industry. Um, There are individuals who, um, you know, are are working um, in in hard labor situations outside um, that that do that and they take pride in it um, and they're they're amazing workers. And then there are others that, you know, um, from this country or not that are being forced in that situation, working tremendously long hours, no breaks, having to live on premises um, that are, are part of that industry, unfortunately. Um, another big one, because again, we are a tourist state um, and um, people don't like to make dinner, um, you know, restaurants in the hospitality industry are huge. Um, and that's hotels and motels. Um, in 2019, the legislature um, in part of the bill that created our organization, the Florida Alliance, also um, put forth a requirement to, for individuals who work um, at a hotel or motel in kind of a frontline role. So that could be the valet, a receptionist, maintenance workers, housekeeping, um, for them to take an annual human trafficking awareness training course. If we're going into a restaurant, um, you know, we are a patron, we sit down, we order from the menu. We don't know what's going on in the kitchen um, or behind those doors where we're not able to go. So, um, you know, we like to say that we might have context for a situation where, you know, from from uh, behavioral or maybe verbal cues from maybe our server at a restaurant who isn't really making eye contact, is kind of distracted um, in any situation. And that's ap- applicable to, to any victim, a potential victim of human trafficking. Um, and they go to the back. They don't come out for a long time. They look like maybe um, there are signs of physical abuse. Um, that's where you say, you know what? Something isn't sitting right. I'm going to, you know, report a call to law enforcement to the hotline number and have them and local law enforcement investigate what you think you might, you know, what's going on behind those closed doors in the kitchen where, you know, we don't have a vantage point as a customer. Um, those are just two. Um, another really big one is at, um, you know, nail salons and massage establishments. Um, there's no reason why any individual regardless of whether you're a chiropractor or, um, you know, the fender bender that you got in for you to receive a massage at midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially um, if there are um, uh, signs that individuals who are working in some of these establishments are sleeping or living there um, very long hours, um, a licensed massage therapist who is certified um, by the state is not living on premises. Um, and 
people are not going in and out um, by the hundreds in a day. Um, so those are just three, you know, very specific labor trafficking situations. Um, and I will say that, you know, some of the potential signs and indicators that we've discussed and I've mentioned today doesn't mean that a human trafficking uh, situation exists. Um, it, it may, there might be other factors that aren't present. Um, so that's why taking training is so important to, again, dispel the myths, but then also educate ourselves um, to make that report to law enforcement if we think something is going on. Yeah, it's funny. I think that massage example is really interesting because I remember a couple of years ago, you know, I travel around the state. And I remember just seeing these like little strip plazas with all these massage places and driving by at like 10 o'clock at night or something and going, that place says open. Why is it right. massage place open at 10 or 11 o'clock at night? Um, and I remember I actually wrote a little something, you know, I have, I've had this little um, piece in the Orlando Sentinel I actually asked, what is, what is the deal with all these like late night massage places? And I like my massages, but I usually get them in the afternoon or in the morning or sure. something right? <laughs> at, at a certified place, not one of these sketchy looking, looking places. And um, you know, but it's like, it's funny, right? Not too long after that, I remember seeing the state cracked down. Um, I can't remember if it was the attorney general's office or whatever, um, but there was definitely a crackdown and there that showed that some of these places were places of uh, of probably labor exploitation, maybe sexual exploitation and probably human trafficking as well. So interesting. And but, you know, the common restaurant, like you mentioned, I mean, everybody goes out to eat a lot. And so um, and, but also I think, you know, and not to, I don't want to get into like immigration policy here, but there might be like people in situations that are just looking for work and they can't do so maybe legally or something. And so they get into these exploitative situations. I, you know, you could say maybe some of them chose to work for less than minimum wage or whatever it is, um, but probably some of them are just being exploited and it's the employers themselves that are part of that process as well. Um, and And maybe, you know, it goes into some of this uh, larger uh, situation that, that that you're uh, involved with as well, in terms of trying to end that that trafficking of of people that end up in in all sorts of uh, horrible situations. No, sure. Um, yeah, again, I'll, and I'll just say, and and sometimes it's you know so repetitive, but um, you know, victims of human trafficking can be your next door neighbor, could be you know the young person that you attend church with. Um, who lives in your community. Um, and there's a lot of different types and, and situations and faces. But unfortunately, you know, this type commercial sexual exploitation or forced labor, um, you know, these victims, um, the the demographics um, and the ethnicities, the gender, no, no boundaries, unfortunately, because when traffickers and bad actors sense a vulnerability, and that could be from the star student who lives in that wonderful, awesome community with, you know, two parents, a dog, I mean, truly the idyllic life. Um, but, you know, is a teenager and wants to create relationships, that's a vulnerability. Um, and so, so we have to sometimes dispel those things. Do, do situations happen? Obviously, unfortunately, they're happening um, all around um, the country and, and sometimes in our state um, for people that, you know, want a, a better life. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity in our state, and we're we're so we're so grateful um, for those policymakers who are affording that, and for the business owners um, who are creating wonderful workforce to do that. Um, you know, but but we have to dispel those things to get to the informed tips to really help law enforcement. Yeah, and look, uh, one of the things you mentioned before is uh, I'll 
people who are engaged in this from the exploitative side, they are they are motivated by profit in most sense. Sometimes they're motivated by other things too. But you know, I know a lot of entrepreneurs are motivated by profit, but not necessarily. They're also no- motivated by missions and things like that. Business people need to make a profit though. Um, but I always like to point out to people, especially like, you know, I've done some teaching of economics and entrepreneurship and things. I'm a big proponent of the profit motive or the free market or capitalism or whatever, things like that. But um, that people have to remember, this is kind of a dark side of that. What what true capitalism or true market economy is, is where people freely uh, exchange their goods and services to, for others, uh, provide their value, right? So we have our, uh, we bring our comparative advantage to the marketplace, things like that. Human trafficking is not that. It is people being forced. It's exploitative. It's theft. It's it's all sorts of things. Um, yeah. So, and that's similar to like the drug trade, right? I mean, it's like, and I, but the reason I kind of want to get back to that is, is there's the, the, so whether it's drugs or sex trafficking or human trafficking or all these things, there's there's somebody making a dollar at the end of that. And that's a lot of the motive. Um, but I, you kind of hinted at this a little earlier in something you said. All of that will stop when the demand side stops, right? And and it's 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 that demand side of people paying for these things um that that is really fostering all of this on the supply side. Yeah, definitely. Well, and to you know, um, you know, state an, an analogy that that you can understand because you've traveled um, in Central and South America. So think about, um, and I think I think you're a chocolate person. Um, we get we oh, love yeah. our right. So we want things. You know, we you know for for us that are fortunate to have you know phenomenal jobs, we we earn, we save. Um, you know, if we want that you know, 80% bar of chocolate with the finest of ingredients, or similarly, very similar, that wonderfully fresh brewed cup of coffee from mm-hmm. wherever we want. From Guatemala, of course. Yeah, of course. We <laughs> need to be willing as consumers to pay more. I know mm-hmm. it's frustrating. I know it's, you know, hard. But when you go on the International Labor Organization who tracks fair trade of, you name it, every single good and service, um, that we consume, we're not going to stop those practices because obviously if profits are going up and obviously it's not, um, you know, the, the individual who's harvesting it in another country, um, they want to provide for their community and their family, um, or their tribe in some cases. So, you know, they are being forced to do this, um, threats of violence, and then there's money involved and it's a vicious cycle. So, you know, the next time you go to get that great chocolate bar or a cup of coffee, whatever it might be, pay a little extra. Um, companies have done a really good job over the years, um, in part because some of them have been called out by um, some from governments um, like ours and from, you know, influential people, um, you know, to say, hey, these are marked fair trade. So, you know, that you can, you know, sit well, enjoy um, what you paid for. And it's worth it because you know that at every point of the supply chain, no forced labor um, was was being used to make that item or good. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to my guest from episode 99, Mike Manina of Thrive Farmers. They actually do this. They pay farmers 
uh, 300% of what they're typically paid by other coffee companies um, in places like Guatemala, Costa Rica, Brazil, other places like that. Um, But we got into this whole conversation about exactly what you're talking about. You know, what is going right to the actual farmer themselves, right? Um, So... Well, Aaron, um, we're going to uh, try to bring this in for a landing in, in, a, in a few minutes here. But the, the last thing I want you to say on this topic, so we we, we have all the things for the Florida um, Alliance here to end human trafficking. Um, we're here in January of 2023 at the time we're having this conversation. Um, I know you're based in Tallahassee, and um, there are committee weeks being ramped up right now for all sorts of things that are coming before the legislature the legislature actually uh, convenes for business in March, and I think it ends in May. Governor starts signing the bills around then. He has about 30 days after it ends to sign the bills. Are there anything, any priorities uh, that you have before the session or for the people of Florida that you want them to focus on? Sure. So the, the statewide council on human trafficking really drives the policy um, and we support their efforts. Um, it's a little too premature. There's a, a bills being filed right now. Um, well, I'm sure we'll we'll chat in the in the coming weeks and months um, to see what actually uh, gets across the finish line. But the biggest thing I do want to mention, and January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, is that um, everyone can get engaged and all it takes is an hour um, for someone to take our training. Um, I know you'll put it in the notes, um, but if people go to youcanstopht.com, um, that is um, a website under the Office of the Attorney General in partnership with our organization that really challenges the broader community and specifically businesses um, to proactively take steps, take a challenge really, and who doesn't love a little competition, um, to proactively train their employees on the potential signs and indicators of human trafficking, what to do if they suspect human trafficking and where to report it. Um, and uh, it again, an hour of your time is such a small investment truly to prevent something from happening or potentially stop it from happening if it's, if it's currently um, occurring. The other thing I would say um, is if you are um, in South Florida, we are having an amazing event. I don't know if can we plug events here, Francis? Yeah, plug the event. Um, on May 16th, um, down in Palm Beach at the Breakers, we're going to be hosting a Night of Hope and Healing. Um, it is our signature event to recognize all of our partners in this fight um, against against exploitation. Um, and it will be um, a really fun way to recognize those individuals, but also to educate um, our attendees and our guests and then to honor some amazing champions who are on the front lines doing this work, um, but really behind um, a lot of the fanfare. Um, you know, we, we hear about, you know, elected officials um, and companies sometimes, um, but there are a lot of people that that are, are silent warriors, um, as we say. Um, and so it'll be a really beautiful night. Um, and we hope um, if you're in the area, you'll consider attending. So where can people find out about that event or sign up? Sure. Um, so our website is Florida Alliance, all spelled out, nht.com. So Florida Alliance, nht.com. Okay, great. That'll be in the show notes too. Okay. So um, Aaron, you're doing incredible work there. Um, I, I want to have a, a few, um, let's say somewhat rapid fire questions oh. for you, just to, just to give people a little bit more a sense of, of your journey and how you got to where you are. You mentioned some of your experience before, but um this is something, um, speaking of labor and, and free labor in the free market, uh, uh, what was your first job in life? And, and I'm talking something, maybe it could have been as a kid or something else, yeah. but what was your first job in life? And um, while you're thinking of that, um, what 
is maybe something applicable that you learned from that job that may be still with you today? Okay. So I was a hostess at an Italian restaurant in Jupiter, Florida, um, in this during the summers. And something that I learned was, um, I guess to be present and that's again, whether you're doing a task or, or personally, and especially back, I won't throughout the year to date, um, or age both of ourselves. Um, but we are so busy and consumed with a lot of different things, especially now inundated with technology. Um, I have two phones, I've got two laptops. I love technology. I love, um, creating things visually graphics, you name it. However, um, it can be overwhelming. And especially because everything is on our phone, in our pocket, our purse, whatever, we sometimes forget to kind of just zero in on who we're talking to at the moment. Um, and that was something that at the time, um, when customers would come in and they were frustrated or they had a long day or they wanted their glass of wine, whatever, they wanted their food right away, even that was busy, you know, you had to be present, um, you know, be attentive, um, be patient. I'm still working on that. Um, so that's probably something I learned at my first job. Yeah. By the way, there's nothing worse than going into a restaurant and seeing the waiters or whoever, like not paying attention to you talking to themselves on their phones. Right. So very good. Very good. Uh, you gotta, you gotta be attentive. Um, so I know you grew up in Jupiter and, um, you then went to the university of Florida, right? Um, uh, what was then the first job you had out of college post-college? Sure. Um, so I was the press, I was a paid press um, intern doing communications um, in also Congressman Clay Shaw's office from Southeast Florida um, after I graduated. Wow. And um, so that's interesting. Was it a, did you say, was it a paid internship or? It was, it, I mean, it wasn't a lot. And I um, right. thank you to my parents, shout out Phyllis and Kenton, Jupiter. Um, but it was something that um, I, I loved. I gained so much experience, exposure, um, still love DC, visit it as much as I can. Um, nothing has changed since that time, but a lot has changed, but nothing has changed it's kind of cyclical. Right. Um, but, uh, but it was, a phenomenal experience to work for a man who was so respected, not only in Florida, um, specifically in his district, but really um, the country. So it was wonderful. Loved it. Well, and for Ken and Phyllis, uh, I haven't seen you guys in a while, but if you're, I know you're watching and listening. So hello, um, your mom loves a lot of my Facebook posts. And no. what's funny is, um, you know, my, la my last guest was episode 117. And that was this young man, 19 year old Matt Stone, who's a, a true, an Elvis tribute artist. And apparently, um, yeah, your mom's liking all my posts from from putting that up. And um, apparently, I think she knows his mother or something oh, for a lot. Yeah. Let me tell you a quick <laughs> aside. Um, the greatest um, of champions in my parents, but my mom, where I really truly learned the passion for people and volunteerism was from her. Um, the woman still does not know the power of no. Um, she's consummately engaging, volunteering, giving, um, and, uh, just shout out to her because, you know, we, we learn from the people that we interact with most. Um, and in my situation, it was my family. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously that, that shows with you and I know you've been really involved with junior league and all sorts of other volunteer activities. So, uh, so I'm sure that that didn't fall far from the tree there from Phyllis. Uh, so, um, what, I know you like to travel as well. Um, what has been maybe, if you could name a favorite 
or most impactful travel experience you've had? Okay, so I'm going to go with, I'll say the most impactful and then I'll say the most recent, which was like bucket list in a different way. You'll see why. So the most impactful was probably years ago when I visited Rome and the Vatican for the first time. Um, There's something about you know, traveling within Europe, but especially um, going to a place that I had studied, learned a lot about as um, a kid. And, you know, you know, when you're lit, when you're walking the halls of history um, and things that you've only seen in, in photos or, or read about or seen on the internet, um, that was, you know, kind of a, a wow moment um, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, and then I'll say the most interesting and impactful, and by no means am I comparing the two. But my husband and I, during the holidays, we saw Adele perform. Um, and again, not comparing at all. I'm a big person of faith, Francisco. Other people who listen to the Agents of Innovation podcast know this. However, um, it was, shall I say, a spiritual experience. Um, Adele, voice of gold, hilarious, um, super sarcastic, witty, amazing, passionate, um, as we, as I'm sure a lot of your guests, cause I've seen, um, previous episodes and obviously your most recent guest, huge lover of music. So, uh, my husband and I, um, and our family, we love to be able to travel sometimes domestically. Um, we're, we're planning some fun, exciting things for the summer abroad to see some of our favorite artists. So, um, you know, save the time, earn it. We put in the grueling hours now, but it's so worth it when, you know, you're visiting, um, and experiencing all that life has to offer. Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad you said that because sometimes we just travel to a place like Rome for a specific thing that's there maybe all the time, right? Uh, but then sometimes we travel to a place. Was it Vegas that you saw Adele? Where was it? We we did again, very non-traditional Christmas yeah. for us. Uh, we actually saw her on New Year's Eve, or, excuse me, Christmas Eve, um, and it was, I mean, breathtaking, amazing. Yeah, so I mean, but to go somewhere for an experience, and um, you know. Aaron, you and I have traveled uh, uh, on the rock boat, right? One of my wow. favorite things to talk about. And exactly. so, um, you know, being able to go, like, to be honest with you, I think you would agree with this. Like, we've we've been on a lot of different cruises in our life. Like, the physical act of going on, a, like, we didn't go on the rock boat to go on a cruise ship necessarily. We didn't even go on the cruise ship on the rock boat to go to whatever ports that are almost immemorable. Right. Like which one were we at? We were at Costa Maya or we at Cancun. Like, I don't even remember. But we remember like the amazing, like seeing need to breathe on oh. the ship as we're like in the middle of the Caribbean Sea or something. Right. And like um, and just having those intimate like experiences with, you know, thousands of other people, of course. But the uh, the, the amazing uh, experience is so for you guys to go to Adele and, if, and to feel like you had a spiritual experience in Las Vegas. <laughs> hey, you know who else reformed in Las Vegas was Elvis I Presley, do. right? I, <laughs> so I would have gone to Vegas for Elvis Presley. So uh, I don't know. Adele, you're going to have to con- do a little more convincing. But I know she's am- she's amazing and she has a great okay. voice. I'm just... Bucket list. She's there until March. Go see her. <laughs> All right. You heard it from Aaron Collins. Go see her. So Aaron, uh, last question or two here. Um, what advice do you have for young people who are maybe, you know, coming out of high school, college, whatever, they're unsure about the first steps to take towards a career, what kind of advice would you impart on them? Find a mentor. Um, I have been super blessed with both female and male mentors um, from the time I, I, well, 
I mean, first mentors were my parents, um, and then other family member, family, you know, family friends. Um, but when I graduated college and then also really when I took my first, you know, kind of full-time, uh, professional role, um, is when there were people that one were recommended to me, but then there were some people, um, that I, I, I knew about and I emailed, um, or I called, um, so don't be afraid to reach out to people that you admire or you want to learn something from, um, or on the flip side, or if there's someone who maybe you are so um, in disagreement with, but you respect the position from where they're coming, those people can turn into fabulous mentors. So I think definitely getting a mentor is important. I've heard that answer a lot from a lot of different entrepreneurs and, and other people. And it's something though, like, it's like you hear the, the thing a lot and it's kind of obvious, but it's not right. obvious, right? Because it's it's not even something you're told as much from, you know, oh, you got to, you know, you got to go get this job or this internship or read this book or take this class um, or pay $10,000 for this class you know, in, right. in, in college. But, but, uh, but a lot of people don't understand there's all these people. And by the way, one thing I've learned is most people, you got to ask them to be like, exactly. right. And many people are willing to do it because they're like, they see the initiative of the, of a young person that's, that's like, wants to learn from some, something from them. And, and, and then it's, it's also like for somebody who's been a mentor too, and I'm sure this happened for you. It's like, it's like, there's challenges for some of those people. Sometimes it's frustrating. Like, Oh, they didn't do, they're doing this, this path again, that they didn't, that I told them not to go down or something like, right. But but you do see them; they got to go through it themselves, and it, and then it is rewarding to see when they when they're so accomplished later on. I mean, somebody that you and I could probably I don't I think you know him, uh, uh, who's been on my podcast before, and he's also, by the way, in my new book, The American <laughs> Dream is a Terrible Thing to Waste, and that's Joe Russo, right? And uh, and Joe was somebody who worked under me at the James Madison Institute, and 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 it's no surprise to anybody, uh, you know, a couple times I kind of had kind of was pulling my hair out, telling Joe a few things, but I saw something really great in this young person. And he has done just these phenomenal things, starting the Palm Beach Tech uh, really initiative. And now he's doing this great thing with Emergency Ventures app. So like, he's somebody like I'm very proud of, like um, as, a, as a mentee. And so I think what I got, I, I think what you're telling like young people got to ask, uh, go for know, it to, to do it. And then, and then the people will, it'll be very rewarding for the person who's mentoring as well. Well, and it'll go back, tie into my first job when I was in high school and the advice, um, you know, or kind of something I learned was be present. It's the same thing. We are busy as, you know, people in our careers, you know, the older we get, the more we're taking on, you know, I, I still can't say no, I'm just volunteering. I'm doing the thing <laughs> because it fills my cup. Um, however, to take the time to be present and patient with people that are just starting their career. Um, you know, we know how much it was important and invaluable to us when we were starting. So being present, um, you know, not pulling their hair out, not being short in your conversation, again, sometimes is a lot easier said than done, but you don't know how you're shaping for positive or for the other side, a young person's career. So it's so important to have a mentor. Yeah. And by the way, I think it's also great to have some peers. And I'm thinking of something you brought up at the very top of this conversation. I can envision it because I've probably seen it a few times. You and Chelsea Murphy sitting there having a cup of coffee or lunch or whatever you're doing in Tallahassee and, and over walks Ellen Bogdanoff and the three 
amazing women there, you know, started having this conversation about starting this nonprofit. And, and so having those peers that you could, you could have as well. And, and, and may, maybe there was a mentor in that situation too, but um, I also want to, I, I want to kind of end this um, with, with, the, with a question about that situation you brought up. Cause I, uh, I was thinking about it when you started the conversation earlier, you were, I, um, can you tell tell us remind us again what position you were in as you were sitting there talking to Chelsea and then what steps uh you took to start this nonprofit and what were some of the like early biggest challenges or maybe even some of the fears or concerns you had but you went forward with it anyway yeah so again right place right time um i believe in all the clichés that whatever you believe in like you're put in a specific place at a specific time in your life. And sometimes you're like, what is going on? This is really crazy. But you look back and you're like, oh, I was exactly where I was supposed to be. Um, and I will tell you, and when Chelsea watches this, she will laugh. We were not drinking coffee. It was um, early evening. So, you know, your listeners can can guess what was going on there. But um, I will say that um, the this role has been truly one of a lifetime. I never thought I'd have in my career at this age um, in, in the point of my life to start a nonprofit with the leadership and amazing support um, hand in hand of our board members and the legislature, because the legislature created a bill and the governor signed it to create this organization. So having that support just at the foundation was huge. Um, from kind of a, an entrepreneurial business standpoint, I, you know, had worked with nonprofits and leadership roles, was a fiduciary, but I, but I, you know, worked in these organizations as a volunteer once they were already created decades, you know, down the road. So I learned so much. Um, and I, I know a lot of your previous guests and your listeners can identify with this, getting all the corporate filings with the federal government, IRS, all the state paperwork, Department of Revenue, Agriculture and Consumer Services that um, overseas charities and nonprofits, the bank stuff, um, getting, you know, a, a mailbox, little things that we think, oh gosh, like that's easy. But the time and the steps it takes setting up articles of incorporation, bylaws, ethics policies, conflicts of interest. Obviously I didn't do this by myself. We have a phenomenal uh, chair and board and, and, you know, partners that we work with to kind of help us. Um, but as the staff of the organization, you know, shepherding that along and managing it was a lot. It was also a really cool kind of on the job training OJT moment for me. Um, the thing that put a monkey wrench in the business and strategic plan was we launched the organization the beginning of January of 2020. I don't have to tell anyone who's listening or you what happened two months later in March of 2020. The really great thing that I'm so proud, um, and I know our chair and our board um, and our partners are as well, is it's 2023, January, um, and we are on such an amazing path and have had some amazing wins and successes over the last three years, despite all the instability and the uncertainty truly that went on. Um, so that's what I'm most proud of. Um, and to do something that is both per personally fulfilling and professionally, um, it's it's like that, it's like I hit the mega millions. Yes, it is. And and also I think Florida hit the mega millions by having you in that position as well. Um, and you've done a, an amazing work there. And I think I really think it's important for people to understand that uh, that people are listening that you walked into this and had to kind of start this whole new thing. Like you said, you didn't do it alone. I always like to tell people no one journeys alone. Um, and, and so, but you still had to lead the situation. Um, and also you, people forget entrepreneurs, whoever starts any kind of organizations, 
um, all the paperwork, all the little things that you got to do. If you don't do them, nothing's going to happen. Um, and we're lucky that we live in a state that's actually like probably less bureaucratic and a little more like fast paced driven on a lot of those things. And like maybe some other states or countries. Uh, so, but still there's a lot to do. So uh, Aaron, I just want to say thanks for being um, an agent of innovation yourself. And thanks for being on the agents of innovation podcast. Um, and um, uh, to our viewers and listeners, I just want to say, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, this episode's available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Please like it, uh, subscribe to this so you can hear other episodes where we connect with other agents of innovation like Aaron Collins and uh, people from a wide variety of professions who are making a difference in the lives of others. And also leave some comments. I want to hear what you think about this episode. And, and please share this episode with others so they can learn about the important work that Aaron is doing and so that we can all be a part of the solution to end human trafficking. Uh, Aaron, thank you again so much for being part of this conversation. Thank you so much, Francisco.